Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features. Get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book consciousness and the brain. In the 1930s, a young American boy named Henry Gustav Malazan was accidentally hit by a bicycle and suffered a severe head injury. Afterward, he developed symptoms of epilepsy. At the age of 27, the long-suffering Malazan went to Hartford Hospital and sought help from Dr. William Beecher Scoville. At the time, the limitations of biology did not allow physicians to thoroughly understand complex brain functions. Dr. Scoville did not shrink back from the difficulty however. He boldly suggested Malazan undergo an experimental surgery to remove the medial temporal lobe, amygdala, and part of the hippocampus from his brain. After the surgery, Malazan's epilepsy symptoms were finally alleviated. Despite the success of the surgery, he experienced strange symptoms. Although he could recall people and events from the past 27 years, he could no longer retain new memories for very long. Over the next few decades, countless scholars used his brain as a research subject. Malazan participated in hundreds of experiments, and his name appeared in nearly 12,000 journal articles. His participation substantially aided scientists in learning and understanding brain function, making him the most important patient in the history of neuroscience. Malazan is no longer with us, but scholarly research in brain science has never stopped. Humans are hailed as the masterpiece of the universe and the paragon of the animal kingdom, and the brain is the most beautiful and mysterious part of the human body. We learn, remember, reflect, generate new ideas, and control our behaviors through our brains. The joys and sorrows that we experience are produced by this tiny body part weighing only 1.4 kilograms. The book we will review today Consciousness and the Brain was written by the cognitive neuroscientist Stanislas Dehaene. It is an innovative work that makes the mystery of consciousness more visible. Dehaene is a member of the French Academy of Sciences, the foremost authority on the scientific study of the brain in Europe and a master in brain sciences. In 2014, Dane received the Brain Prize the world's foremost neuroscience award for his outstanding research in the field. In this book, Dane combines his cutting-edge achievements in the areas of experimental studies and consciousness research to describe how to study consciousness scientifically. He also discusses the applications of consciousness research, leading us to understand the creation and role of consciousness, and providing insight into the development and challenges of neuroscience. Next, we will uncover for you the book's best bits in three parts. Let's have a look at the secrets of consciousness and the brain. Part 1, How to Study Consciousness in a Scientific Way. Part 2, Exploring Consciousness and Unconsciousness. Part 3, Applications of Consciousness Research. Okay, let's delve into the first part by asking this question, how do we study consciousness scientifically? To answer this, we will need to have a clear definition of consciousness. In the last century, the psychologist Stuart Sutherland stated, consciousness, the having of perceptions, thoughts, and feelings, awareness. The term is impossible to define, except in terms that are unintelligible without a grasp of what consciousness means. Nothing worth reading has been written about it. 
To better understand the mystery of consciousness and turn consciousness research into an experimentally verifiable thesis rather than speculation, we need to define consciousness more accurately. Modern neuroscience categorizes the concepts of consciousness into several types, wakefulness, vigilance, attention, and conscious access. Wakefulness refers primarily to the sleep-wake cycle, which arises from subcortical processes. In contrast, vigilance refers to the level of excitement in the cortical and thalamic networks that support conscious states, this vigilant level enables us to maintain the state of self-consciousness. For example, when a medical staff member says, the injured patient is still conscious, the patient is in a vigilant state. Attention is the focusing of our mental resources onto a specific piece of information. Many different external stimuli surround us at all times, such as various sounds, odors, and changing scenes. But the capacity of consciousness is limited, and we can't focus on everything at the same time. To avoid information overload, the brain will automatically apply a selective filter. Out of countless potential thoughts, the brain picks the most vital information to bring into consciousness. The result of this selection is attention. Conscious access is the fact that some of the attended information eventually enters our awareness and becomes reportable to others. Dane points out that what counts as genuine consciousness is conscious access. Wakefulness, vigilance, and attention are the prerequisites of conscious access. Our attentions bring information to the forefront of our minds, which are occupied by certain things. Furthermore, they allow us to convey our thoughts through language and actions, and only then is conscious access complete. Let's say that we are reading a novel in a coffee shop, we also notice various stimuli around us such as voices, the shop's background music, the aroma of coffee, and so on. When we are completely mesmerized by the book's storyline, our attention is focused on the book, and everything around us seems to fade out. After reading the book, we can share the best parts of the book and our opinions with friends. Only then is it considered conscious access. Only by clarifying the meaning of consciousness can scientists conduct precise experiments on consciousness. So, once we figure out what consciousness means, how do we translate the problem of consciousness into a practical problem for an experiment? This requires a second key element, a set of tests that can manipulate our consciousness's content at will. But can we artificially manipulate the invisible and mysterious consciousness as it arises from our brains? The answer is yes. In 1804, Ignaz Paul Vital Troxler, the Swiss physicist discovered that when a person's gaze is focused on a fixed point for 20 seconds or more, other visual stimuli around the fixed point will slowly fade and vanish in the observer's field of view. You may find many visual illusion images online, such as a picture with 12 gray dots surrounding a black cross for example. If we stare at the cross for a few seconds, we'll notice the gray dots fade and disappear, but after a few more seconds, the gray dots will slowly reappear in our view. The image itself remains the same, but it is presented differently in our vision. This means that while the objective stimulus remains constant, our subjective perception of the image is always changing. In fact, the brain is experiencing the transition between unconsciousness and consciousness. The parts of the image that can be seen will enter our consciousness, while the unseen parts vanish into unconsciousness. From this, 
Cognitive psychologists have realized that they can fiddle with consciousness by contrasting the conscious and unconscious states. In a follow-up experiment, scientists studying field of vision found that they could make an object visible or invisible by applying methods, such as controlling the length of time the object appeared and the presence or absence of bodies that could block the view and distract the viewer. The invisible gorilla is a famous example. In this experiment, the researchers show viewers a film of two teams playing basketball. The viewers are asked to count the passes made by the team wearing white. After watching the film, the researchers ask the viewers if they saw a gorilla. Most of the viewers state confidently there were none in the film. However, upon watching again, a gorilla is clearly seen, it even pounds its chest a few times in full sight. This experiment uses distraction to make an object invisible. Using various experimental techniques, scientists can design a slight visual stimulus that can be converted between conscious and unconscious states. Then they observe the different reactions that occur within the participants' brains to investigate when and where consciousness arises. In this way, the mysterious gateway to consciousness is opened. The use of scientific experiments to study consciousness has become a reality. This experimental technique has brought big changes to consciousness research, but there are also voices of disapproval. Some scholars criticize this procedure for being too subjective. However, such skepticism is unreasonable. In consciousness research, subjectivity is at the heart of the study. The subjective awareness exhibited by the participants after being stimulated is vital information for the experimenters to record. This subjective feedback has defined objects of study. For example, if a researcher flashes a picture in an experiment and the participants claim that they haven't seen the picture, the experimenters should go by the participants' feedback even though the picture was there. In other words, we cannot study consciousness without subjectivity. In experiments, Scientists can try to improve the accuracy of tests by factoring in statistical probability and setting the experimental conditions. Others believe that the human body sometimes doesn't require external stimuli to generate subjective awareness, so it's unwise to treat subjective reports as research data. To be more specific, after undergoing surgery, some patients report that they feel their spirit leave their body during anesthesia. They feel like they are hovering at the ceiling and even look down at their inert body from above. This phenomenon is also known as an out-of-body experience. So, are out-of-body experiences created out of thin air? Certainly not. Studies have found that there is a brain region in the right temporoparietal junction where signals from the visual cortex and somatosensory and kinesthetic systems converge. When this brain region is damaged or disturbed by electrical currents, people can have an out-of-body experience. It seems such subjective feelings are also based on external stimuli to the brain. We shouldn't ignore or deny subjective sensations as the human body truly feels them. On the other hand, the active discovery of the truth that gives rise to sensory perceptions is where the meaning and value of research lies. This is why subjective reports should be valued and used as raw data for research. It is the third key element of consciousness research. It is only by taking subjective reports seriously, starting with a phenomenon and then exploring its root cause, that the objective factors of the emergence of consciousness can be uncovered. We've now finished the first part. In this part, 
we explored how to study consciousness in a scientific way with three key elements. First, clarify the meaning of conscious access. Second, design experiments that can manipulate the content of consciousness. Third, take subjective reports seriously and treat them as raw data from the tests. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now.